Hello and welcome back to Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name's Tina Quinn and as always it's a pleasure to have your company. In this edition, we're all about radio. With the most recent rating survey in Sydney came the news that the stranglehold that 2GB has had on breakfast was no more. Is this a major shift in listening habits, or is it just a small shift around the margins? Also, while radio listening figures remain strong, there are long-term questions around the survivability of the industry, with millennials and Gen Z possibly shunning the platform. And finally, we remember the late Jonathan Coleman. To help us in this special radio edition of Fourth Estate, we're joined by two heavyweights of the medium. The career highlights of Angela Caterns are many, from working at Triple J and her work on TV with Simon Townsend's Wonderworld, to being fired from 2SM, where she was told that she was too intelligent and that women don't like listening to other women on radio. She's also worked in the US at WKYS, as well as hosting Breakfast on ABC 702, where she famously beat Alan Jones in the ratings, possibly the only person to have done so. She's a podcast maker and can currently be heard on ABC Radio in the Northern Rivers. Angela Caterns, welcome to Fourth Estate. Thank you, Tina. Nice to be here. And Steve Ahern also joins us. He's the publisher of Radio Info and Asia Radio Today. He has extensive experience in the medium, including here at 2SCR. He's also been the director of radio at the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, which is better known as Afters, and has also managed ABC radio stations in Melbourne, Canberra and Newcastle. Steve Ahern, welcome back to Fourth Estate. Thanks, Tina. Also nice to be here. Much has been made of 2GB losing its mantle of the number one breakfast show in Sydney. With Alan Jones leaving and then Ben Fordham taking over, it did seem for for quite some time that 2GB dominance would continue. But nothing, I guess, lasts forever, especially in radio. Although this one almost did, it would seem. Uh, The last person, though, to beat 2GB in breakfast is you, Angela, in 2003. So what did you yourself read into 2GB losing its mantle of number one breakfast show? Well, you know, he was a bit of a a unique character was our Alan and um you sound almost affectionate there when you talk about him (laughs) (laughs) okay okay he was a shock jock that's what I think I think he was a shock jock um no like Kyle Sandilands and Steve will be able to clarify this but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know some of his previous listeners deserted um, Ben Fordham and and went to, you know, Kyle and Jackie O. I'm Mm. not sure. And Steve probably knows, you know, the figures. Um, But, yeah, he was a real force to be reckoned with, Jones. You know, he was um, a a, a larger-than-life character Mm -hmm. and I think that the 2GB listeners liked that. You know, I listened to Fordham and he's uh, he's a very competent presenter Mm -hmm. but he's not... Um, you know, a sort of an authority figure who basically tells the audience what to think. Look, it is quite interesting that uh, obviously, so 2GB Breakfast has been knocked down to the number one spot and and Carl and Jackie O uh, have taken that mantle. Some have made the point that Kyle and Jackie O being number one points to the fact that people have had enough, you know, of of COVID and politics and, and they just want to be entertained. Steve, what do you think of that idea? Do you really think it's plausible that 2GV breakfast listeners have actually gone away to Carl and Jackie O? No, I don't really. Um, It's a nice headline for Mm. the tabloid 
newspapers, um, especially the ones that are either for or against um, the Fairfax 9-owned uh, 2GB. Um, so, it, look, it's a fun headline, but let's really look at the facts. Um, first of all, the sky is not falling for 2GB. Um, the station, this survey, from last survey to this survey, lost 0.1 percentage mm. share. So not 1%, but one-tenth of 1%. Yes, it has been declining slowly, and um, there's more to talk about there. But this survey is not Kyle and Jackie beating Ben Fordham. Um, breakfast didn't fall on 2GB. Well, it did fall by a fraction, by 0.2. So actually, Ben Fordham pretty much held his breakfast audience. What happened, though, and all credit to them, is that Kyle and Jackie went up a massive mm -hmm. 2.6 share points. So they attracted an audience. There wasn't a flow of audience from 2GB to KISS. So there's no direct correlation there. Mm -hmm. um, what happened was the audience is swirling around, and I think we should talk about why that is, the COVID effect and mm -hmm. people getting sick of politics and COVID. I, I kind of agree with all that. Um, but it's not a direct correlation. So uh, as much as Kyle might like to think that he stole audience from <laughs> Ben, I don't think that was happening directly. The so where do you think, can I ask you, Steve, where, where do you think they came from? Uh, I think they've come from uh, the, a, a repositioning of music radio mm -hmm. and a a decrease in time spent listening to talk radio. I don't think talk radio listeners, whether they're ABC Sydney listeners or mm -hmm. 2GB or other talk stations, I don't think they go to music radio uh, directly. No. Uh, but what happens is those talk listeners are probably listening to less talk radio because during the time of the survey in Sydney, um, the the lockdowns, there was no lockdown. The news was pretty much the same, mm -hmm. you know. We were fairly free of COVID cases and they didn't have to keep listening to every bulletin to find out what happened. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. the, I think the reality of what happened is that talk radio listeners listened less and people resumed their normal habits, which is um, longer listening to music radio mm -hmm. for those who are music radio listeners. Well, look, talkback is very strong around the country. Uh, so you're you're saying that you think when things sort of stabilised uh, within the country, uh, when it came to, to COVID and, and, and politics, people sort of returned to, to FM music and, um, and and those sorts of habits. But do you think... Yeah, or let's say they, they return to their normal listening habits. Right, okay. So do you think then there could be a rebound for Ben Fordham uh, through this next period uh, for 2GB Breakfast? Uh, will, will people... I do. Okay. Yeah, okay. my prediction is Ben will um, not go down. Um, so the trend has been going down. Mm -hmm. I predict he will not go down and he probably will go up and that music stations in general will probably lose a little bit of their shine. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Kyle and Jackie are well ahead now, so um, all credit to them. They may well hold breakfast for a while, but I think we will see a rebalancing. And the reason I say that is because 
during the survey period, Sydney was not in lockdown, but Melbourne was. And in Melbourne, the talk radio stations, ABC Melbourne and 3AW, held their figures um, rather than declining. Do you think there's an argument that some of uh, Ben Fordham's uh, listenership may have gone over to ABC? It's possible, Mm -hmm. but as Angela well knows, uh, ABC listeners don't like ads and they don't always go to commercial radio and vice versa. Uh, I remember when Angela famously moved from her hugely rating ABC 702 Sydney Mm -hmm. breakfast show to um, what was Vega, the Nova company station, on the last day, Callers were in tears. They were saying <laughs> goodbye as though they, she would cease to exist because in their minds they were probably never going to turn to a commercial <laughs> radio right. They were never going to follow. So well, let's, right. let's talk a little bit about Vega, actually, because it was such an interesting experiment, uh, I guess. In, so you, Angela, were hosting ABC 702 Breakfast um, mm-hmm. in, in the 2000s and then made the shift over to Vega, which is now, I believe, Smooth FM. Uh, is is that correct? It made, that's... Well, yes, but, I mean... Uh, you a know, very different... iteration it? now, yeah, yes. very different. I mean, I mean, the Vega thing was an experiment, really, to yes. try and craft a radio station for baby boomers right. that played their kind of music and talked about their kind of issues um, but it was, um, you know, it was a good idea, poorly executed, in my opinion. Okay. So it was like ABC Talks with uh, the Smooth or the, the WSFM soundtrack. It was actually our soundtrack, I have to say, when I, when I started at this place. And it was, it was a radio station building from the ground up, and that's what appealed to me, that I would kind of be there at the very start of this um, experiment. You know, it wasn't established yet. It didn't quite know what it was doing. It just mm-hmm. seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> um, and so I remember saying to the, um, to the content director who, who had come from TV, mm-hmm. um, so he hadn't, had no radio experience at all, so where's the music library? Uh, and he said, well, it's at your place. It's whatever you want to play. And I should I should have sort of heard alarm bells ringing at that point, but um, yeah. So you know there was no particular playlist. Mm-hmm. You just invented the music that you played as you went along. You invented the stories you did as you went along. It was, um, yeah. I suppose it was doomed to failure at that point, really. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I. I, I <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say. But, yeah. Um, I, I mean, in I. I hindsight, I, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I myself tuned into it at at the time. I and... know. I love that, Tina. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, we were, you know, in in our household, it was um, we we were quite big big fans of it. Uh, what did you? How long did it take for you to realise that it, this wasn't quite working? Oh look, uh, I really gave it my best shot. And mm-hmm. I have to say, um, what was good about it was there was a, I did the breakfast show, and then after me came Wendy Harmer, mm-hmm. and she and I were kind of knew of each other, but never really knew each other. And so you know how there's always a crossover between from the outgoing show to the incoming mm-hmm. show, and you know you sort of talk about what's on and that kind of thing. Well, Wendy and I, you know, we do that crossover, and it, it sort of stretched out from a couple of minutes to about mm-hmm. half an hour of mm-hmm. us basically doing radio together. 
And so then we went on to be a bit of a, a radio duo for a while, and that right. was a fantastic upside. But as to your question, how long did it take me to realise this was a bad idea? I guess it was when they started putting, I don't mean to be insulting, but the the, the kind of industry term is chuckleheads. Right. When they started <laughs> putting the chuckleheads <laughs> on my show, so there ended up being uh, in place, of, well, uh, there was me, and then there were four others, I think. Mm-hmm. So there was a, you know, there was a FM chucklehead breakfast team. And that's when I started to feel, oh, dear, this, this is not going well. This is not what I want. And so I ended up leaving. Steve, you're the in your work with Radio Info. Uh, obviously, a lot of your work involves uh, very detailed, in-depth analysis into uh, listeners, into listening habits. Uh, what did you, what were your thoughts on the Vega experiment back in the day? This was I was it 2005, 2006, I think when when Vega launched. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Um, we do we do try to do that analysis, um, and thinking back to it. I thought the first thing I thought was um, I don't think the listeners will follow Angela. And then I thought good on her for um, making the most of an opportunity that many people don't get. And I hope she gets a lot of money because um, (laughs) she might have to walk away after a while. But um, the difference between ABC and commercial radio is that you get well paid and you get walk away money. Mm-hmm. Um, commercial radio has to take risks to innovate and develop um, new things. Uh, the ABC is much bigger and it has a whole different operational model. So, um, you know, it's, it's less risky, uh, but also uh, it pays its presenters a lot less than commercial radio does. So, you know, that, they were my first thoughts. As it went on, I saw and heard that Angela was really bringing her wonderful personal style. And, you know, so many people think of Angela on air. They don't know her, but they think of her as one of their best friends. She just has that lovely magic. Thank Um, you, Steve. (laughs) And and I thought, here is Angela. Mm -hmm. She's still the same Angela, but where are her friends? They haven't found her yet. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then it just seemed like the other things around it didn't fit. Mm. But, you know, that's commercial radio. There's only a certain amount of time you can afford to stick with something mm-hmm. because you need to build audience like we were talking about the figures, mm-hmm. you know, and you need to show a pretty quick number on that GFK mm. survey sheet because then you have to go out and sell it and make mm-hmm. money. Yeah, very Re- true. Returning back to uh, what we were saying, returning the conversation back to talk back, it, it's still very strong around the country. Do, do either of you see a time when it might not be so dominant? For instance, do you think it's going to continue to resonate with millennials and, and Gen Z? No. Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. <laughs> you, do, you don't think so, Angela? No, I don't really. I mean, I've got a daughter who's now 20, in her late 20s and um, she would never listen. Um, she would never listen to talk back. I mean, she actually listens to people like uh, Philip Adams on Radio National. Really? So she okay. picks and chooses, you know, what's on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the ABC, but she would never listen to uh, talk back on commercial radio ever. Just never. 
Right. You've uh, um, uh, spent your whole life indoctrinating her. Well, no, I mean, she didn't want to listen. When she was a kid growing up, she did not want to listen to me because people would tell her what I'd said on the radio. <laughs> did you sometimes have the dirty laundry at home from, from home? Did well, you I sort of sometimes no, talk I'd actually about... talk, I'd talk about her. I'd sort of bring yes. the odd anecdote about my daughter to the radio and, and she would hear about that and she was absolutely mortified by that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but so I'd be interested... Um, I'd be interested to know, Steve, you know, whether you disagree with that, whether you think, you know, millennials and Gen Zers are listening to talkback radio. I think they are and will, but mm-hmm. I think the listening is different. Mm-hmm. And when you say talkback radio, I like to call it news talk radio. Talkback's yeah. a part of it, but so is a personality talk presenter. And so are interviews and so is news. So it's a whole package and the millennial generation and the the current generations do want that package, but Mm -hmm. I think they want it in a slightly different mix from um, the previous generation. Uh, What they want is a presenter who can talk to them. I think the millennial generation is far less accepting of polarisation. They're more willing to listen to alternative views. Mm -hmm. Um, My kids are in their 20s and, and, you know, I'm using them as examples but trying to generalise. They want to have an intellectual discussion. They want to hear an alternative point of view or a series of points of views, but then they want to form their view and argue that position. And all of those elements still are relevant to making good talkback radio. Mm-hmm. So I think, of course, talkback or talk radio will sound different in 10 years' time to what it did 20 years ago, and it should. But I think it will be around. The two elements that will vastly change will be how and when they consume it well- and podcasting and catch-up radio are the big game changes. Well, I did and the other element that. will be different presenters like right. Ben. Right. I did yeah, want to ask yeah. about that. Live radio at present is still the dominant way people listen and provides a different experience to on-demand listening. Do you think millennials and Gen, and Gen Z will, will probably make the jump to live radio in sufficient numbers or do you think the industry is going to need to adapt and change? Because the way it's going at the moment, it seems the on-demand space is is really where it's at and and where the future is when it comes to when it comes to audio steve yes yeah the industry will have to adapt and change um live linear broadcast talk radio will still have a place but we're all going to have to invent talk radio for the non-live linear uh, formats uh and it's being done i mean there is still there are lots of successful catch-up podcasts and made-only-for-podcast talk shows that have news. Uh, And, by the way, news doesn't date in podcasts anymore. If you do it right, you can still plug in the daily news, even though the podcast might have been made a year ago. Um, It still has personality presenters who interview people and who may take some telephone calls. Mm -hmm. But... What we're going to have to add 
as people who craft the radio formats of the future is the interactive element that you get on live radio. Now, that can be done in WhatsApp at the moment. Um, people use WhatsApp for um, delayed talk messages. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's common that you, you send a little voice message in WhatsApp and then when your friend hears it an hour later, they reply with another voice mm -hmm. message. So you get this asynchronous talk back. So why wouldn't podcasts um, have a space for people to upload their audio WhatsApp messages or whatever platform uh, and then use those either cut them back into the podcast or use them in the next podcast. So we can still have audio talkback elements where people are, you know, ringing up in whatever way and their comments are incorporated. And, of course, talkback, you know, it's nice to have audio texture because we're an audio medium, but talkback, I think, has a much wider definition in the future and that will be when that podcast is on its social platform, there will be all the social text comments, mm -hmm. memes, pictures and other things in response, um, just as it would have been if you were picking up a phone and calling. So I think there is a future, but it will be slightly different. Right. Mm, interesting. Can I ask a question, um, Tina, of, of Steve? I just want to know what station your 20-something um, your kids listen to, Steve. Yeah, well, um, they're a bit like your your daughter too. They grew up in a, a household which was pretty, um, uh, you know, pretty savvy. So yeah. they do listen to talk radio. Uh, they listen to, we're Sydney-based, so they listen to ABC 702. Mm -hmm. uh, Daniel also listens to 2GB for the other point of view. Liam listens to okay. Triple J, um, Hack. And then they both consume podcasts that take them out of the Sydney region, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, American podcast. They listen to news and information podcasts from uh, Britain and elsewhere. And then when they want to listen to music, they listen to uh, some community radio stations and mm -hmm. um, they listen to Triple J and I think Nova and to a certain mm. extent mm. WS because everything old is new again, you yes. know. If you didn't hear the Beatles the first time around, then that music <laughs> Now's and the a good time too. pretty out there, yeah. Well, I hope one of those community stations they listen to is 2SER. We've, uh, we've got a great playlist Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Angela, can I ask what for you as, you know, and, and you're, you're still a live broadcaster, what for you is the magic of radio in the 21st century and how how do you how do we communicate this to younger listeners well tina i think i mean for me as a presenter the magic was having this community form around me and so you find yourself in this privileged position of of kind of being in the center of mm -hmm. a group of people who choose to, you know, tune their radio to your, um, 
to your station and mm-hmm. actually spend time listening to you. I mean, that's what I really love. And then you would hit on a you would hit on a topic, and I would look at the telephones. You know, there's old old school telephones still in radio studios, mm-hmm. and you know they have kind of six ten lines on them, kind of thing. Yeah. And and would talk about something, and then all of a sudden the phones would light up, literally, <laughs> you know, just flashing lights, flashing lights, and you knew instantly that you'd hit a nerve right. with your community, with your audience, and you'd kind of surf it like a wave. Um, and that for me was the real thrill of of um, live radio. Mm-hmm. There's a new word for it now. It's called trending. <laughs> what's that's it true. Trending. That's true. That's how you usually Trending. know when you've really hit a nerve is <laughs> right. the uh, gone viral. Is, yeah, yeah Twi- Twitter's going <laughs> off. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Line ten's gone viral. Uh, no, the whole thing, the whole phone's gone viral. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to For the State on the Community Radio Network and our guests are Angela Caterns and Steve Ahern. So, look, you both had interesting starts in radio and I'd, I'd like to touch on with both of you uh, how you found yourself working in that particular slice of the media. Angela, to you first, how did you get your start? Mm, well, well, funny that you should ask that. <laughs> so <laughs> the very, very first job I ever got in radio was actually up where I find myself now, up on the north coast of New South Wales. Interesting, um, very full circle. I, was, I had, yeah, exactly. I had already sort of dropped out of the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been working as a copywriter and I discovered that radio stations, commercial radio stations, employed copywriters. And so I went and knocked on the door of the local um, commercial station up here, which at the time was 2LM. And um, so I worked for some time in a casual, mm-hmm. um, you know, capacity. Uh, writing ads and they were in the radio station they were for sort of things like pig sales and stuff and I ended up voicing the ads as well mm-hmm. and I found that I could do that and so and they liked me doing it so anyway then I left and I went and worked in a tv station for a while and then I worked on that kids tv show Simon Townsend's Wonderwell I learned yep. sound recording and that kind of thing and then I applied for a job which was advertised in the newspaper as a producer at Triple J and I got that job I loved that. I had always wanted to work at Triple J. Uh, And I initially produced the morning show, which was then with Stuart Matchett and Mm -hmm. Angela Webber, both of whom um, had died, which is very sad. Um, But I was a pretty shit producer. And then I got asked if I would um, present the show when Stuart couldn't come back one week, one day. And you know, it was two turntables and a microphone, right. literally. <laughs> well, you couldn't have been too shit then if they, if they if they asked you to to present if to, they kept you around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, that that was my start. You know, um, I had a crash course in how to panel operate, mm-hmm. and um, and I ended up doing a, a, a weekend show on Triple J, and then I and then I left, and then I went back, and I ended up doing the morning show on Triple J. Right. So it sounds like you've been in the ABC family for a very long time, then. Yes, but sort of on and off. I, mm-hmm. I haven't stayed there continuously. I have kind of dipped in and out, if you know what I mean, and mm-hmm. gone off to to um, test other types of radio, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Steve, how about you? Well, I guess I got my love of audio mm-hmm. very young in two ways. One was as a, a little kid, um, uh, you know, these days parents might, park their kids in front of the television. Well, mine, my mum parked me in front of the radio to listen to interesting things. Well, and was, and did you did, have a little tranny, Steve, that you took to bed, a little transistor radio? Well, that was the other thing. And, yes, yes, yeah. when I, I grew from the, um, 
mantle radio listening to Kindergarten of the Air, got a bit older and, and got my transistor radio. The, the second thing was putting it under the pillow, listening in the middle of the night to all these interesting things. So mm-hmm. that's where the love of audio came. Mm-hmm. In terms of radio, um, I was a bit of a pushy kid and my school was in Miller Street, North Sydney, opposite to UE at the time. And so I just pushed my way in there, you know, can I, can I see what happens and can I sit in? And I would hope that they would forget to send me home and they did. So I learned how to <laughs> operate the network panel and eventually I started volunteering for free and then yep. getting a little bit of paid money to do these network feeds of Peter Bosley and John Laws and other things. Uh, but my then came university Mm -hmm. and Macquarie Uni uh, had a radio station called 2SER and um, (laughs) uh, I started doing doing shifts there regular on-air shifts and then I got some paid production work at 2SER but you know my mum had said well this radio thing's all very well but you get a better get a qualification for a real job. (laughs) So I learned to be a a school teacher and I went to teach in the bush in Brewarana and lo and behold, there was a radio station up the road. So I'd drive the 100 kilometres from Bree to Burke and I would um, work on the radio station there as a volunteer, community Mm -hmm. radio. And then they hired me and um, that started my career, which led to commercial radio and ABC radio and then working in training, combining teaching and my love of radio. So I guess mum was right. So normally when you start talking to someone about the start of their career, there there are stories of luck and perseverance, but also the help from key people who were your your mentors, basically. Um, Steve, can you go first in in talking, you know, who were your mentors in starting out? Yeah, for me, um, it was um, a lot of self-taught watching people because people on live radio don't have that much time to formally mentor. So Mm -hmm. watching program directors like John Brennan uh, and um, presenter like Peter Bosley who did Drive at Mm -hmm. 2UE Mm -hmm. and then later on in my career being lucky enough to work with people like Phil Kosh, his brother wrote the book The Year of Living Dangerously about mm-hmm. him um, and he was not only a great um, journalist and practitioner but a great manager so he taught me a lot about that. Um, and I hope we'll return to Ben Fordham too because I think he is also someone who's mm-hmm. learnt in that way. He's been involved in the media um, for all his life because Mm -hmm. of his parents but he didn't just um, trade on their coattails he really used that opportunity Mm -hmm. too of watching and learning and I I think he has also learnt the craft through kind of informal mentoring and what he does on air is very good radio because he's seen it all. Angela what about yourself? Well, Tina, I would go back to um, the first time I worked at Triple J and um, Chris Winter and Marius Webb were wonderful mentors for me and great supporters. Um, And then later on when I went to uh, 702, actually when I did the evening show um, on 702, I I used to present a national evening show on the ABC and um, 
Wendy McLeod was a wonderful mentor. Mm -hmm. In fact, she was the EP of the show and um, a great supporter also. Roger Somerville, who was the station manager at 702 when I got asked to, to present The Breakfast Show, he was wonderful. And it was during his tenure that the ABC employed a woman who went on to become my radio guru, whose name is Valerie Geller. Valerie Geller is a radio consultant from the United mm -hmm. States. And um, she, when the ABC had a bit of spare cash, uh, was, you know, paid to come that out been and, a long time uh, and ago. work. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She was paid to come out and, and work with some of us uh, presenters. And I think I might have told you the story the other day, Tina, of mm -hmm. uh, I credit her with helping me actually beat Alan Jones and go to number one with that breakfast show. Right. How so, can I ask? Well, you can ask. So when I started doing that um, breakfast show, um, I was uh, I was sort of paired with a couple of blokes. You know, mm -hmm. they would send down some blokes from the ABC newsroom when they when there were sort of hard hitting stories that needed yep. covering, and I guess they didn't quite have uh, enough faith in me to kind of cover them in a in a heavyweight kind of way. Um, and so, uh, you know, some men who I respect enormously, uh, Raphael Epstein and Trevor Thompson and Steve Chase. Um, would come down and sort of co-present but not quite. Anyway, when I did my session with Valerie Geller, she listened to about 30 seconds of my air check and she said to me, Angela, you sound like you're in radio jail. And I went, oh, <laughs> Valerie, that's exactly how I feel. And so she had a word with Roger, the station manager, and um, I was left to my own devices to present this show by myself and mm -hmm. shortly after it went to number one in the ratings. There you go. Valerie Geller, thank you very there much. You <laughs> she is a great lady, Valerie, and sounds she like is. very good advice. Yeah, no, she is a wonderful woman. I'm still in touch with her. She says the most wonderful things about radio. Tell the truth, make it matter, never be boring. Can I ask as well, you were, uh, <laughs> you were once um, – fired from 2SM uh, because you were, you were told that you were too intelligent or you sounded too intelligent and that women don't like listening to other women on radio. That's now, exactly right. <laughs> has much changed? Have, have we moved on from uh, those I sorts of... I do think we have. I do think we have, Good. Tina. Look, I, you know, I work, a, I do a cute little radio show one, one day a week these days in um, from the ABC Lismore studios. I do Saturday breakfast on ABC North mm -hmm. Coast. The entire station is women. They're all women, you right. know. So we've um, moved on from the so blokey kind of atmosphere I, that I radio once was. was. Yes, yeah, certainly at the ABC. I'm not sure about commercial radio. Steve might be able to paint that picture. Mm. I, th I think it's a long way behind the ABC, but the change mm. has happened. Well, look, radio has pretty much always been a cutthroat industry, but I want to talk about how it now develops talent. Commercial radio has largely moved away from growing in-house talent. Uh, and it's now sort of relentlessly moving through an endless line of comedians and, and ra reality TV stars. The irony is is that Kyle and Jackie O are actually a product of the old system. They were trained and, and developed over time in-house, and then they were given time to grow and, and find their feet. Why do you think the commercial part of radio has moved away from, you know, what is, let's not beat around the bush, it was a winning formula. Why do you think so, Steve? It's money, no doubt about right. it. Um, in When you train people, when you have a career path and you bring them through in a staged training process, getting back to my old teacher training, um, then you, you have that scope 
to develop people and you have the time to develop people and big networks that have a lot of stations can put them in a small station and develop them when they see talent and bring them up to the big stations. Mm -hmm. But that takes staff. Mm -hmm. It takes a training department in human resources. It takes planning. It takes people to spot the talent. It's expensive. And training, along with marketing, are two of the things that are instantly cut when tough Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. come in commercial businesses. Mm -hmm. And it's been a bit the same in the ABC. They have a much bigger commitment to training, but they've also had their Mm -hmm. tough times and they've had to cut training departments. So now it's left to buying people off the street who are already trained and that training could be self-taught. They could be self-taught social media influencers who you buy. And, you know, in reality, if you just buy them for a year, you haven't invested all that money, time, effort into a training program. You put them somewhere in the air. You see if they work. If it works, great. If not, well, you've paid them walk-away money and the contract ends and you do the same again. Um, And that system kind of works. There are people Mm -hmm. who are found who do become radio stars, but many of them don't, Mm -hmm. and that's because they don't have the craft that sits behind the personality and the fame and the the natural style that they bring, and there is a craft. So you you, you um, think that's why in commercial there's actually such great turnover now in in the headline hosts, really the the, yes. the, the hosts yes, that are headlining a program. I'd like to end our chat talking about the recent passing of Jonathan Coleman. Uh, he's a massive name in radio, but one that shares very little in common with the likes of Alan Jones or Carl Sanderlands. Angela, you worked with Jonathan on on, on Simon Townsend's Wonderworld. What are your memories mm-hmm. of him? Um, Jono was a delightful human being. Mm. He was endlessly um, happy and smiling and fun. He was very talented. He knew, in fact, since his death, I've learned a lot more than I ever knew about Jono. Right. He knew a lot about music. He could play music. Um, he knew everything about films. I mean, on Wonderworld, he was a, you know, he he just wanted to make films the whole time. Mm-hmm. We made little three, four minute films every day. They were our stories. Uh, and Jono, you know, became something of a film director of those things and also the star of them. He was a very funny guy. He was a complete natural on the microphone and in front of the camera. Everything was ad-libbed. He did very little yeah. prep. Um, <laughs> and um, he was just a real sweetheart and it's a very big loss. Mm. Steve, you knew John well. What, what were your, some of what what were some of your memories of him? Yeah, I agree with Angela. What a lovely, wonderful person, mm. very genuine. But um, as Angela said too, I think he hid his professionalism. He was really skilled at not mm. just the radio craft, but all media craft. But he just did it so instinctively that. He didn't make a fuss of it. Um, Mm. What he really, what what was up front in Jono was Jono, Mm. a wonderful, funny people person who really liked people. And over the years I had lots to do with him. He was a big reader of Radio Info. He would Mm -hmm. send us gossip and tips and things that um, could never be attributed to him. He was a bit of a gossip. He loved the industry. But the um, the most lovely things I remember is 
when I was um, head of radio at Afters mm -hmm. and we would do show radio broadcasts from the Easter show. Right. And Jono would bring out his wife, Margot, and the kids um, to, to come and visit the studio. And that was because as a kid he would visit the, the studios of radio stations and look through the window at the caravan. Uh, and he just wanted to support the students who mm. were doing the same and show them that, um, you know, this, this was a pretty fun industry. I think uh, giving him a few free tickets to come in the gate was also an incentive as well. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say one other thing, just yeah, going yeah. back to Valerie Geller, the radio guru, she always has said to me the greatest gift you can give your audience is a laugh. Mm. And um, Jono gave us all that in spades. So true. Oh. That's, yeah, what a lovely thing to say. I think he, I, I remember coming, I, I remember meeting him on the set of Studio 10 uh, a couple of years ago. And I think he obviously, he very much made this decision of uh, I'm here to make people happy and entertain people because there were no airs and graces. There were no, he, he was exactly the same off air that he was on air. Yes, that's he, right. He yeah, was, that's right. I just remember sitting and chatting with him and he just, I, he just did not care who you were. He he sort of treated everybody the same. And it seems it really worked for him. He succeeded at all levels. He, he even tried his hand uh, at, at being a huge ratings success over in the UK as well. Do you think he was, Angela, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think he was a rare exception uh, of showing that nice guys can finish first? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't agree with that. That, you know, that it's a rare saying, exception or...? <laughs> no, that the nice guys rarely finish first. Right, I okay. I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. Um, but he, he definitely was a nice guy. He was an adorable human being. I loved him and I miss him already. Steve, do you think there's any lessons for a new generation of, of radio jocks that could take from, from Jono and, and the way he uh, carried himself and uh, the way he, he treated others? That's a really good question and, yes, there is. Um, Jono was successful, but he also had many knocks. In this business, you lose your gig, um, you get demoted, you get changed around, and that happened to him many times. Mm -hmm. And I think the lesson and, and certainly something that um, I tell anyone who I teach, that there will be ups and downs. Um, be kind to people on the way up because you might need them on the way down. Uh, and also remember that you are not your job. And I think Jono remembered that. He knew who he was. He knew that he did a job, but Jono was Jono and he had that self-confidence of a person possessed within themselves. And that's a really important mm -hmm. thing, you know, in this business, um, if something happens, if your whole identity is tied up with I am a radio star and suddenly you lose your gig, then your whole identity is at risk and I've seen many personalities yeah. spiral down. Uh, but Jono's the example of how not to do that, how not to spiral down, how to survive in those tough times. Well, on that note, I'd like to thank both Angela Caterns and Steve Ahern, our guests this week on Fourth Estate, for joining us on the panel. You're welcome. Thanks, Tina. Great to talk to you, Tina. And thank you for listening to Fourth Estate. This edition was recorded at the studios of 2SER and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Many thanks to the Foundation for their continuing support. 
Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, of course, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. As always, a big thanks to my executive producer, Anthony Dockrell. My name's Tina Quinn. Please do stay well and you can catch us next week on Fourth Estate. Thank you.